After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hello, this is Mind Rolling, and I'm David Silver in New York, and Raghu Marcus is in Asheville, North Carolina, right? Yeah, but hello, this is Mind Rolling I said podcast. That. Well, it was desultory. Uh, hi, Dave. How you doing? Good. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm straight shooter. None of that melodrama. Mind Rolling. I know. It's, it's like, my radio it's days. It's like Vincent Price or something. <laughs> Exactly. Welcome to the crypt. Do you want to... Uh, um, I want to say something right away. Okay. Um, for those of you who are in any way interested in, in helping us, you know, the Amazon.com portal and the Audible.com portal on Mindrolling Podcast website, which you should check out, uh, help us if you use them. However, a lot of you have got ad blockers. Mm. And we've had several... Um, emails about this so if you have, if you want to help us turn the ad blocker off just while you're you know on our website if you like and you can use them and just use them as if you were just using them for no other reason than buying what you're buying but we get a small percentage so do that and do do it because it, it helps and thank you everybody for doing that and thank you uh people for donating which you have and um really that warms the cockles of my heart because it means you like it, and it helps us. We're going on to a year, too. I mean, soon, a couple of months, it'll be a year, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, we, we, uh, we're really glad that you're listening, and thank you for everything you give to us. But it is a good thing if you, if you use Amazon uh, to use our portal. And as I said, if it's not appearing on our website, just turn off your ad blocker. And if it doesn't appear, then you're not supposed to use it. Hey, what about the T-shirts? You did get one T-shirt, so I tell did. us. Is it worth somebody to get a T-shirt? Yeah, it's really nice. It's, and it's good size, because I got a medium, and it wasn't like, you know, it was the right size. And the mind-rolling um, logo is, is cool. It's nicely across the front of it. I got a burgundy one, uh, just because I like that word, burgundy. And it's very nice. It's kind of a deep red and I like it, and uh, I'm saving it for a special occasion. What would that be? I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, a Metallica concert. Uh huh. You can go to the Metallica movie. Which That's is, it. The 3D movie. Yeah, yeah. Just what we want. You know, um, I, I got to tell you, people used to tell me that they were really difficult guys, and I directed the video of Woodstock '99 which was a nightmare experience. But anyway, Metallica were one of the stars, and I interviewed them. And out of all the rock stars, that for whatever reason I've met, or whatever, they were the most gently um, 
conscious of the questions and answered the questions as fully as possible. Didn't have that stupid rock star kind of arrogance about them. Mm. They were really serious musicians. They'd just done a record or a film with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. And it was fantastic. I mean, the way they coordinated their, their music with that was, with, was incredible. So, like... Who, who is the lead... Who are the lead James... Headfield, um, Headfield, is that? Yeah, yeah. very right. talented guy, extremely friendly, good guy. And, hmm. uh, there you go. All right, well, I'm going to go to the movie now. I think I will. I actually think... I, it's not exactly my thing, but, you know, it's got a plot, though, Raghu. It's got some kind of weird plot. Oh, some okay. apocalyptic future plot, which yeah. could be pleasant. I don't know. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, listen... Um, that's it for Metallica. Yeah, and we're we're promoting Metallica now. Uh, they are not a sponsor, but <laughs> too bad. Um, really? <laughs> so uh, uh, combing through the uh, annals of uh, articles and blogs, my latest find, which is a bunch of bullshit, I look at the New York Times and I do read it, and it's getting harder and harder to read, not because of uh, lack of good writing, but the the news is just inherently really bad from beginning to end, and it's like you. I start to feel like I, you know, what am I doing to myself? You know, by taking in the horror that's in this news. I mean, you know, I and it's somebody told me today about oh yeah, never, 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 never. Uh, somebody said absolutely don't watch TV or read the newspapers, or go online. I mean, you cannot avoid it except by doing that. And who's going to do that? So, well, you know, a sadhu, and, and, and rightly so, and sensibly so. I mean, I, but I find with my own thing that I get, it's horrifying. And then there does come a moment when I just can't engage with it for days. But then I will go back to it. And, uh, you know, it's just, you're right, it's end-to-end, dark, violent, revengeful, low-chakra, primitive Neanderthal horror shows. But apart from that, apart from that, the world is great. Yes. Uh, I got my new copy of Rolling Stone today, Uh, just another anecdote. And on the cover is Miley Cyrus licking her shoulder half-naked. And Wow. (laughs) I haven't bought the magazine in 37 years, but I'm running out. I'll I'll send you my copy after I read it, okay? It is just... Uh, actually, they have the greatest articles in there. Matt Tiabi writes in there. Uh, Taibi. Is it Taibi? Taibi, yeah, because he's on New York television. Uh-huh. Right, and he wrote a, an article about... Did you read this article? It's about... Uh, it was... Uh, what is it? It's about um, college loans, and what they are, what the government is really doing. I mean, you have to pay these loans back. And the interest, the, he's funny, you know, this guy. And he talks about, it's like Vig from the mafia. I mean, the interest on these loans is terrible. That's number one. And then he goes on to say, and it's, you know, it's the cabal of these university bu- universities building these incredible gymnasiums and stadiums and it's all about the athletic program and charging this you know this they say that this possibly is the next housing crisis is the college loan deal and and it's ending up not a lot of people are getting jobs with their you know their degrees anyhow 
right? That's all changed too. It's an amazing article, by the way. Last Rolling Stone. He always Macklemore on the cover. Yeah, he's great. I mean, he's his father, Mike Taibbi, was to me the most trenchant street reporter on New York television. He's been on. His father's been on yeah. there. For 30 years, fantastic reporter, like old school, but great. No frills, just tells you the facts, great. So Matt is like an evolution of that. He was on Bill Maher last week talking about that student loan. Oh, he was. Oh, really? He's amazing looking. I I, I can't really describe it, but he, he, he's, he's sort of an amazing looking man. Uh, very, uh, very brainy looking. Uh, you'll know when you'd see a picture. Matt or Mike? Matt. Matt. And uh, yeah. how old do you think? I, I don't know how old Matt is. He's probably early 40s? 30, early 30, oh, maybe 30s. 40, but yeah. I think younger. I think maybe mid-30s. I don't yeah. know exactly. Right. But yeah, he, when he writes about those things, he just reveals the iniquity about it. And that, you know, I tell In you, a very Robert, funny way, too. We, yeah. We get email uh, for mind-rolling um, podcast from a lot of people in their early 20s. I, and it is amazing to me that stress that's shown not only because of the normal stress of being, you know, young and in the society, but financial stress. And a lot of this is obviously coming about through, I can't go to college, or I went to college, and I'm now in debt until I'm 60 years old. And, you know, it needn't be this way. It's like the hospital thing. That's another thing. Matt, I think Matt did a thing about that, too. Mm. That, you know, people are giving vast amounts of money to non so-called nonprofit hospitals. So these nonprofit hospitals are given billions of dollars, but they still knock off a ton of money from, you know, uh, donations. And it's because everything is, as they say, managed. So that, you know, when they give you your pill with that little paper cup, you'd think, well, nobody charges for that. Yeah, 80 cents. And these things add up and they showed what the real, you know, what the real deal was in the hospitals. It's mm. very similar. It's a scam. So, you know, Duncan Trussell, you're right. We ain't got nothing to live up to, Dylan said. And apparently that is is getting even more gross. Um, but this article that I found, uh, Dave. Yeah. The importance of the afterlife. Um, I guess we, we got to give credit huh? to the man. The man who wrote it is Samuel Scheffler. Uh, and it's something called The Stone, which I, is, is probably an online blog. And so no, when I, no, that's the New York Times. Oh, it's on the New York Times. It's, it's just a, a part of the New York Times. It's a little section in the Times called the Stone. Really, and I believe I didn't it's realize yeah. That. And it's yeah, absolutely. And it's it's and Scheffler writes for it. Oh, uh, we see? should say that he's a professor of law and philosophy at NYU, I guess. Um, but uh, Rog, you get, let's hear your take on this because I have my own take. Yes, I understand. Uh, well, when I first looked at it, and I thought, oh, after you know, so they're talking about what actually. Uh, what goes on after one leaves one's body behind and, uh, you know, all of the different philosophical uh, explanations from different uh, spiritual traditions, etc., as to what happens, a soul moving on, a, you know, pure mind, whatever, the Buddhist. So uh, then, of course, I read the first paragraph and it had nothing whatsoever to do with that. So then I thought, okay, what's he talking about? So... Uh, he's what he's talking about is um, well. Let me tell you. Let me read from you know my belief in life after death is is mundane. What I believe is that other people will continue to live after I myself have died. You make that assumption in your own case. 
Although we know that humanity won't exe- exist forever, who knows about that? Most yeah. of us take where'd it. Where did you get that? Yeah, where did you get that? Most of us take it for granted that the human race will survive at least for a while. Boy, he's dark. After we ourselves are gone, because we take this belief for granted, we don't think much about its significance. Yet I think that this belief plays an extremely important role in our lives, quietly but critically shaping our values, commitments, and sense of what is worth doing. Astonishing though it may seem, there are ways in which the continuing existence of other people after our deaths, even that of complete strangers, matters more to us than does our own survival and that of our loved ones. Well, I... So, okay, so let me go on, and then you'll... uh, So, I I guess this just actually tripped me to start thinking about other shit. Uh, Like, I have uh, found myself at times just driving somewhere and seeing some could be just a beautiful natural uh, you know environmental thing you know a beautiful lake uh, you know the the river some grove of bamboo that happens to be by this river where i go walking and i think jeez i wonder where's this going to be 50 100 years from now way after me is this still going to be here in this, you know, because everything changes, and what is the change going to be for this, and will it exist at all? And what will it be like at that time? So I, I have had these kind of thoughts that he's talking about. What will it be like for whoever is still, who you know, and not just not just the, you know, uh, my own family and children, grandchildren, whatever, not just that. But, uh, and that relates to, to, you know, some of the work that, well, both of us have done where, you know, if we've done anything, it's to help give information, this podcast, where we've hopefully helped give some information about getting some balance in life that will be taken forward from whatever sources we've exposed, you know, from teachers to philosophies or whatever. Um, Where is that going? You know, and what is going to happen like way down the line on that? And what, so what we do seems to, you know, we, there is motivations there, absolute motive. I, I just was uh, working on um, uh, a, a, a letter today for the Love Server Member Foundation, which I think everybody at this point knows that I'm involved with and run as a director. Um, so it was a lot of uh, talk around this media li- digital media library we are building to include this 45 years of, of, of material that we've collected, you know, primarily around Ramdas and the people and his friends and, and then people that we have uh, more recently uh, filmed or, or, or recorded in one way or another. So to create something that is going to move forward into generations to come, that is an extremely um, gratifying thought that this will be available to people and t- and uh, help awaken the way that we were awakened uh, when we first heard Ramdas back in the 60s, late 60s. So I think there's a real something to this 
in terms of, uh, you know? Well, I know. It seems to me rather obvious. And it seems to me, so I, with due respect, Dr. Scheffler, I'm sure you write wonderful things, but I found the whole thing could have been summarized in like half a paragraph. I mean, okay, so you think about the future to the extent that we do think about the future. But that's not the afterlife. Yes, I mean, uh, yes, it's after our life has disappeared from this particular, you know, place for a time. Uh, I just think that he was using the expression afterlife kind of weirdly. And I think that to say that we're motivated, he seems to imply to me that what we do now is only motivated by how it will have heritage, how it will appear in the future. And I'm diametrically opposed to that. I'm be here now, thank you. Now be here now and think about your your children and the people in the future and stewarding the planet and not fucking it up worse than it already has been, and etc. Yes, that is a motivation. But I think the sort of implying that we do things because of the future more than I would agree with. Uh, I, I don't totally buy it. Uh, yes, you know, uh, as you say, Raga, you look at the river and the trees. And given what's going on on the planet, you wonder, well, what's going to be around in a hundred years, if anything? And my take on it is, well, I don't know. And my guess is it'll be here. And there may be diminished uh, quality of life on this planet. Who knows? I don't have the wisdom to talk about that. But I do know something will be here. Whether it affects my absolute what I'm doing right now. Yeah, what I'm doing right now, we're doing a podcast, which could be in a time capsule. And some person who didn't have anything better to do in 2084, uh, when we're just not even ashes, um, will be listening to it. So that's different. So the technology changes it because you give something to the future. But I don't think about particularly this podcast for the future at all. I think about it for the people who are driving in their, in their, um, you know, in their, their cars on Route 10 or, or Route 95 or wherever, on the way back from work, wherever, and they're listening to it right now. I mean, a week late because we don't do them live. And that's what I care about about the podcast. Um, I hope the place is okay for my children, but it's not motivating my daily life, the future. No, no, not doing Well, I don't know. It's not a matter of future motivating. It's a matter of, you know, are you motivated, you know, obviously earn a living, support a family, okay, in terms of, of work, in terms yeah, of... that's the present. It's not the future. Yeah, but at the same time... Um, Providing for them. Well, just, you know, the kinds of things you've been doing your whole life have certainly, because they are in media, and they are, a, a lot of it has been around consciousness, so that there is something for you in terms of motivation to continue to do that, thinking this is going to uh, be something of value that people can, that can help, period. I mean, that's there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, um, yeah. I can't get too like ponderous about it because the honest truth is that I, I'm really kind of I don't know whether existentialist is the right word at all. In fact, it's not the right word. But you know, I'm just in the moment, and I you know, if someone catches on to something at some point, either right the next week or in two years, that's great. Well, okay, um, wait, wait. I guess my objection to the article is that he 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 emphasizes that. Our, you know, the, the afterlife is simply a place where we deposit our good deeds, and and that's it. Goodbye. 
Whereas when I hear the word afterlife, I want to talk about what the rishis and lamas and sadgurus. I know, but we you know, speak yeah, about. You know, yeah, that's I, what I want to talk about. I know, but he's talking about this. You can't talk about that. Yeah, well, it's obvious stuff. Yeah, except for okay. What about this? Thing? Hit me with something that isn't obvious here. Okay, I'll try from the article. Okay, what about when you know? Okay, let's just play this game. In thirty days, everything is going to end. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know he does. It's so lame. I'm sorry, Doctor Scheffler. <laughs> You know, it's not. Or if it is, we don't know. So that kind of hypothesis. It's an asteroidal it's, collision in yeah, 30 well, days. It's it's just... Many I, activities it's, would it's seem to be... It's a philosophy hypothesizing about whatever, and I'm just not there. And But wait, many activities would begin to seem pointless under these conditions. Cancer research, seismic safety efforts, social and political activism, and so on. Right? So... Yeah. That's the end. Yeah, okay. we got 30 days, Nobody's right? going to do a damn thing for 30. It's just parte. Uh, so what? I mean, that's not happening unless, unless it happens. If it happens, we'll deal with it. Well, uh, yeah, but, you know. some people would seek consolation in religious faith. Oh, yeah, poor people. And some. Those poor, deluded rishis from 12,000 years ago. Those poor, <laughs> deluded tolkus who meditate 72 hours a day. They know nothing. And other people like you would take pleasure wherever they could in any activity that seemed intrinsically rewarding. <laughs> there you go. Listening to music, exploring the natural world, spending time with family and friends, and enjoying the pleasures of food and drink. Well, that's not obvious, is it? Not. But I even mean, I, I really hope he doesn't listen to this podcast because he's after <laughs> yeah. me. He's in New York. He could find me. Uh, yeah, yeah. You better watch yourself. I think he's. No, a, I'm sure he's brilliant. He's about six on. five, and you know, is muscle bound. Um, notice that in this scenario, unlike that of the asteroidal collision, nobody would die prematurely. What is dismaying about the prospect of living in an? Oh, this is about. Okay, suddenly we find out, no fertility left. Yeah, like it, that movie. Children of Men. Yeah, right, exactly. I guess that's what he's talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, so that, you know, so the knowledge that we and everyone we know and love will someday die does not cause most of us to lose confidence in the value of our daily activities, but the knowledge that no new people, (laughs) no new people would come into existence would make many of these things point. That would be a drag. Can you imagine not meeting a new people again for the rest of your life? You, <laughs> yes, you probably be okay because you just sit I'm in your apartment all day. I have a hard time with the people I know and keeping in touch and everything. No new people. All right. <laughs> Go on. I'm sorry. I know you love this article. I uh, it's I don't love the article. I love the concept <laughs> that what you know. I mean, part of it, look. He even talks about it. It's you know. Okay. It's. I, all right, I think that this, that some widespread assumptions about human egoism are oversimplified at best. However self-interested or narcissistic we may be, our capacity to find pers- purpose and value in our lives depends on what we expect to happen to others after our deaths. I do not agree with that. I know. I don't agree with it either, but there is some thing there related oh, yeah. 
to self-interest and narcissism that I think is important. Well, you, that, counts, that counts me out, you see. This is why yeah, I, don't, right. don't agree, you, I don't agree with this I mean, dude. Yeah, it's the purity of you. Um, even the egotistic tycoon who is devoted to his own glory might discover that his ambitions seem pointless if humanity's disappearance was imminent. Although some people can afford not to depend on the kindness of uh, strangers, virtually everyone depends on the future existence of strangers. Everyone. Well, no, let's just go. Let's just talk about that a minute, because I don't want to be. I really don't want to be flip about this, this gentleman's writing. What does he mean by that? Do you think? By that last sentence, everything. Read it again. Although some people can afford not to depend on the kindness of strangers, these egotistic tycoons don't need that. Virtually everyone depends on the future existence. He even needs the future existence of strangers to be successful and to, uh, you know, to aggrandize his life. Uh, anyhow, that's, as far as I'm concerned, that is a huge reach. But I think that the, the, the stuff around, you know, that, that is... This the stuff around self interest and narcissism, um, and related to finding value and purpose in our lives, is a lot of is the antithesis of what we've been talking about a lot on this podcast, which is really about how do we get on to a different vantage than that one, and if we're in that different vantage, which is coming from from the uh, you know, just say compassionate heart vantage, you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama vantage, you know, that we are all in completely and absolutely connected to each other and we need to act that, that way. Um, once that happens, then you're on a completely different spiritual plane and the idea of even thinking about the, you know, the complete demise in the future of humanity or to think that that motivation is, is something that is intrinsic to one's happiness, I think, is in error. Well, doesn't he sort of imply, I don't know whether he says this, but doesn't he imply something which is very relevant to our own lives now, which is that, you know, the word I used before was stewardship. And yeah. the, the, the concept that, you know, and it's an obvious one, but he is saying, isn't he, that the opposite of narcissism is to say, I will... I will preserve this gift of life and this environment as best I can, even though I know I'll be, I, I might, this individual body will not be on it soon. And that, that doesn't deter many people from saying, but I want the people who live beyond me uh, to have a, a planet to live on and to have a possibility of a happy life. I, I agree with him. Yeah, and that's, a, and, and that's, that's the positive side of this whole article. Yeah, yeah. That and, motivation and, is extraordinarily important, uh, I do is, believe. You know, and especially what's going on now, which is yeah. insane. But but it, it, the, my problem with him is that, he, he, well, I guess it's just one article that he's written about one aspect. Uh, you know, th th in a recent thing I read by His Holiness, he said, of course, Buddhism is composed of compassion and wisdom. It's a compassion and kindness is the way to learn how to be a human being. Wisdom dispels ignorance. And the, 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 path, of, the path of inquiry, as exemplified by, you know, matters learned in, med in deep meditation is important for the dis dispelling of ignorance. The dispelling mm -hmm. of ignorance is important for the creating of potential situations where compassion becomes 
much more what we are about. Now, that's the Dalai Lama talking. And therefore, the, what the predicate of this article, which is not there, is the one of following the course of wisdom. That is, you know, learning, trying to learn as best you can what it's all about. And uh, I don't think, I think it's too simplistic to say that our motivations in this life probably should be based upon only stewardship for people beyond us. And that therefore creates a sort of afterlife. It's like saying, I have a star on Hollywood Boulevard. My name is Tyrone Power or Clark Gable. And that is for the people who are walking on top of me. But it has no relevance to Clark Gable or any of those stars. It's just, it doesn't mean anything to be, have something made in the future for you. If you're, if you're on the path of, of, of dispelling ignorance or something, right. then, I, then it's totally in the moment now. And it's not, I, I, you can't get too preoccupied about, oh my God, what am I doing for the people who will live after me unless there's a, you know, a nuclear war or something. Yeah, but I do think it's true that there is that... Uh, there is a motivating factor. I mean, you know, certainly on the most basic level, it's people thinking what's going to happen to their kids, grandchildren, and, you know, grandchildren's uh, children, what legacy they're leaving. So I yeah. think that, you know, that's certainly a motivating factor to do, do you to think act Steve in a Jobs, positive way. Rog, hmm? do you think, sorry to interrupt, do you think Steve Jobs, what percentage of Steve Jobs' energy and motivation was about the future and what was just his own incredible genius and, and, and completely immersing himself in solving the problem of how to create an entirely new communication system? I mean, I don't think Jobs was that interested in people that he didn't know or in strangers. I think he, he, he wanted to please, but what he wanted to do more than anything was revolutionize. So yeah. I think his, his brilliance was wrapped up to some extent in his intellect. And, and in his ability to create this absolute, the most revolutionary thing of my lifetime, by but far. He, and he, but by he's, far. he saw into the future. He absolutely did see into the future to yes. know what people wanted. And you think it motivated him? I think he wanted to get it into the present as soon as possible. <laughs> I think it was there. I think it was combined. I think you're right. Be here now. And uh, that motivation for compassionate heart and and you know stewardship and so on and so forth is you know that's got to be something that's completely in the moment that you are just doing that without thinking you're not thinking of legacies you're not thinking of anybody down the line but at the same time that is inimical to the equation that you absolute that is part of and parcel of what is going on past present and future are one i mean we saw this um god i have a great story I'll, I'll tell this story i hope he doesn't get mad at me who is it i'll tell you whether he will uh, it's a, a guru brother of mine from my days in india well he told me this story i'll tell you dave was it confidential or no know? i don't think i've been telling stuff anyhow i'll take the brunt of it uh basically maharaji said to a friend of mine uh do you do you drink uh, alcohol? And he went, me? Drink? No, I never drink. No, you must have a glass of wine or something. You sure you don't drink? No, 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 no. I, I Baba, never drink, nothing. And it, this went on for a few minutes of him keep bugging him about drinking. Okay? Some... Uh, so what is it? 
45 years later, okay? So he's a kid then now, and you know, now he's in his 60s, whatever. He has amassed and collected an enormous, valuable wine collection, okay? (laughs) And he came to the point where he realized that this was nothing for him to be, you know, he didn't want to be involved with it at all anymore on any level. And this, so he sold it. (laughs) It's actually up for auction right now. He told me he's selling it right now. And he said to me, I, so I thought back to that moment when, you know, because when I decided to sell it, I had a complete recall of that moment when he asked me if I drank, but I never drank. I had nothing to do. I was not interested in wine. I never drank alcohol ever. And it was only 30 odd years later that without thinking, I started, I was into it and I started doing this. And then suddenly the motivation to stop was there. And I remembered this story. So it's the example here is of a being that is not, that is completely in the moment, which means he is in the past, present, and future is only one thing, you know? And he said this to him then, and it's fully, with full awareness, you know, that this would this guy would go through this trip and then come out the other end of it, you know? And he was completely all known. So at that level, all of this stuff is like absolutely. Oh yeah, but let's talk about that because porn. that's. I mean, that is interesting, you know, to me. I mean, not just interesting; it's it's vital information, you know. Uh, and and what 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 um, this professor is is writing about it is is much more mundane than that. I mean. But he's. Ba- I mean, he's not pretentious. I'll give him that because he's just saying, you know, in order to avoid, you know, uh, one of the things I think he's saying is just in the exact opposite way that those that met Maharaji and, and other great saints. Um, in the opposite kind of way, he's saying, well, I don't believe in afterlife. He starts off the thing by saying, I don't believe in afterlife, so I don't get it. I'm, there's none of that. The only way afterlife really is what we can do for the future, the opposite of narcissism. Fine, that's really good. And I, I, I applaud him for saying that, because if you're an atheist, and I have a few atheist friends, um, some in my family, who, you know, would be very resentful if I were to say to them, come on, afterlife, think about it, reincarnation, transmission of consciousness, blah, blah, blah. They just look at me and go, well, if that's what you want to believe, that's fine, but I don't. So the afterlife don't don't mean nothing to me. But then if they read this article um, by by this professor, um, Samuel Scheffler, they would actually get some, uh, I think, enriched motivation out of it, Mm, i.e., you know what I'm saying? Like mm. I, they wouldn't get like all freaky like I'm about it because I'm sure if I met this guy, I'd love him. But you know, uh, they would say it's actually less selfish, more selfless to not even believe that there is a continuation. But there is a continuation because people will be here, and right. if people are here, let's make it the best we possibly can for them. And for that, you know, obviously this article has value for that because yeah. it's saying stop being so so wrapped up in your own trip and try and, and, and do things uh, that will benefit others. It's very true. But to get back to what you said about um, Maharaji and the time, uh, past, present, future being one, you know, um, that is the most compelling thing to me, that uh, so many times he and a few other um, stad gurus that I ha- happen to be aware of uh, were able to transcend the linear sense of time. 
and yeah. their, the future was just there for them, and they could see it if they chose to, uh, and would sometimes. To you know, Shirdi Sai Baba would stop someone from leaving his 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 little masjid, the little temple he lived in, and keep them there and keep them there, and then you know they'd be so angry and they'd miss an appointment and everything, and then they'd find that the the bullock cart that was supposed to take right. this person to so-and-so place had tippled over and the driver had broken his neck or something. Right. And, you know, he would use that occasionally. That's so fascinating to me that, that a being incarnated on this planet that we've either met or heard of has the capacity to do that. And then, you know, shows it, which is an act of great loving kindness because, you know, once you've reached that stage of evolution, surely you don't have to be here telling those mugs what's going on. But bodhisattvas, that's what the whole thing is, right? I mean... Well, they they're going, look at the work His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, is doing with working with scientists to prove this stuff out. You know, starting from some very basic uh, things around meditation and what happens to the brain, etc., yeah. etc. Et but that's just, you know, that's certainly the beginning. You get uh, the feeling, don't you, Raghu, that he is doing it in order to help us. But he knows it full well. He just knows all that stuff full well. It's not like they have to prove it to him, you know. It's not. No, like not at all. And he's full of humility when he does it. He doesn't act like I know this, and you know, you're just trying to prove it. You know, he doesn't do anything. He's no. curious. He's he's real. Uh, he's uh, by the way, he's in New York, uh, October seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth at the Beacon. By the way, uh, anybody listening to this, go down there. I don't know what. The particular talks and teachings are going to be about, but certainly go down there, and uh, and and as far as self-interest goes, here's some for self-interest. Go to Amazon and get uh, His Holiness's uh, any of his books, but you know, Happiness is a great book, uh, and go through our portal so we can get some money out of this thing because we need to uh, keep surviving and doing these things, and talk about gratuitous. Self-interest, right? Well, That's yeah. Me. You know, Raghu, it's interesting that people are so damn kind to get back to the minute. Because the people who've donated money to us uh, are the people we know about in that level. The people who use Amazon, we don't know who they are and shouldn't. Uh, but some of the people who've written to us and sent money, uh, it's so amazing to me that they, you know, that they're prepared to give us some of their hard-earned, you know, money. Uh, because they are getting something from this, which they consider to be, bene you know, beneficial, good in some sense. I can't say the word, beneficent. You know, mm. something that they like. And so, I'm not saying that. I'm not trying not to be conceited about it. But just uh, my point on this is, wow, that's really something. I mean, there are children dying of all kinds of diseases, as poverty and war and refugees and stuff in Colorado right now, and so many things that pull upon us that where people are really suffering. And people can still look, listen to our thing and send us money. That is either a sign of, of great kindness or great delusion. But, <laughs> yes. but you know, I, I thank you. you. Hate, thank, yeah, we really don't. thank you for it, you guys. It's, it's appreciated and try and write to every one of you to show But, you know, that brings up another thing. And we're, you, I don't know if we're finished with this article, but I'm just thinking of another thing, and that's around... Um, People thinking of, of supporting different causes, or they themselves taking action, um, social action, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, 
again, without, I don't, like you say, let's not, you know, about self-conceit, pompous bullshit that could come out of our mouths, but I like to think that what we talk about, it, it does promote uh, inner social action, right? We've talked about this a little bit before, you know, on other podcasts, um, but I would like to believe that, um, that that kind of action, uh, social action, is uh, it's part and parcel with being able to do anything that is going to help anybody is help ourselves first. And so, uh, you know, I would hope that people who are heavily, heavily into working with poverty and uh, AIDS in Africa, you know, the stuff that Bono does, which he does incredible stuff through his uh, foundation, um, by the way, if anybody's interested and wants to support uh, that, uh, he he does uh, wonderful work and has a, I think, a really pretty pure organization. I would believe. Um, I don't know what it's called, but just uh, Google Bono Foundation. There's red. There's one. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, and I don't think he would be uh, somebody who would react like this. You know, to people who maybe spend more time on working on what it is they can do to pass along information that would help people to have um, come from a vantage point which, you know, it's heal thyself as well as heal thy neighbor and the planet. I think it's an important thing, and it's not, you know, it, it people have been accused of being selfish around this. Yeah, I got to just work on my say. I can't think of going out and doing nothing. I can't be going down to the local church to, you know, feed people on Thanksgiving and so on. Um, so, you know, the, of course, it, it all completely depends on where you're coming from any of this stuff, doing all that social action or doing inner social action. But I don't think it should be discounted, and I guess I wanted to say that. Oh, definitely not. And, and I think that this article talks about stuff like that because you're thinking about what is it that can happen going down the line when I am gone? You know, what, what are the, is there actions, you know, what are the actions that I can take that can have some relevance to that? And he talks about it as a motivating factor. I think, it's, you know, it can be a motivating factor. It I, can I be. It can be, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It's, 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 he seems to imply, I mean, I don't want to get down anymore because it's boring. Yeah. But, you know. You know All right, I, we've said enough about he's, it. He's cool, you know. I mean, he's at least trying to, you know, he's saying something about motivation, which is really good. And, and, and I can't, you, can, you, know, you can't refute that, really. Did you have something else, though? You, you, did you I want did, to talk? I've forgotten. I, I've forgotten. Oh, that's great. You know, I, it was something to do with, um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just going to, no, forget it. I was going to talk about Tibetan Bardo stuff, but I reserved that oh, for that's a, our, that's another, really another time, um, another place. When are we going to talk about Tibetan Bardos? Uh, okay, I mean. Next week. Next week. Well, I don't know, soon. I mean, you know, I want to. Do a, a kind of a pop. That's for, a real up thing, you know. Let's talk about death and going through the bardos. That'll be a fun thing. Well, this is a bardo, though. You see, I mean, so we're yes, going through this bardo. 
So yeah. let's talk about what this bardo is. What the heck does that mean? Right, yeah, just tell me what a bardo means first, okay, Dave? A bardo is a state of consciousness that, that has a beginning, middle, and end, really. I mean, so this bardo is the life bardo. Then there's the dream bardo, which is what we go through almost every night. And then there's the meditation bardo, which is that. Then there's the immediate after-death bardo, which is supposed to be 49 days. And then there's the next incarnation bardo, if there is one, after 49 days of that bardo. So I think there are six bardos. You are very well read. Well, I read this book called The Bardo Guidebook many years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's by Tulku Orgyan Rinpoche. And it's not, it's oh. not, specific. it's a fantastic book. The Bardo Guidebook, you can get it on Amazon, get it, go to our portal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't see our portal, get rid of your ad blocker, get rid of it for that moment, hit the portal. Bardo Guidebook, Tulku Orgyan. Uh. And if you can't get that, then email me and I'll excerpt it. Anyway, no, seriously, though, uh, the Bardos is a way of looking at the transmission of consciousness. So in that sense, uh, I believe part of Tibetan philosophy or belief is that it has to go on, but what goes on? And I thought that maybe this article would be about that. It's about an entire... You're this right. Is, this is a Western um, yeah. thing. But I just wanted to say, oh, I remember what I wanted to say. Oh, the paradox of a lot of this stuff about social activism and really trying to do things for other people is that people of my age tend to say stupid things like, oh, this generation is interested in only making money and, and ecstasy and, and, and going to clubs and whatever, or just trying to survive. My honest feeling about this is that this generation that is now in their 20s does far more, far more work for poverty and homelessness and African problems and AIDS and so on than any of us did in truth. We were much, most of that wing, the hippie and philosophically hippie wing and the psychedelic wing, we were doing things and we were nice and we were getting kinder to each other. But I'm not so sure we were terribly involved in... Um, we were not. We, we rather, uh, in detail, went through what you and I were doing when the protests were happening in Berkeley, if you remember. Yeah, exactly. And now I meet people all the time, but I don't even meet them. Just Facebook City, you know? Facebook City, you see all these people who are really speaking out about things that they think should, particularly GMOs, whatever, you know, bad conditions, torture, all that stuff, and doing something about it. So I don't care, you know, whether they're atheists or Bactas or whatever. Uh, I really do think that it's an encouraging thing for the future, Dr. Sheffield. Um, the people in their 20s, by the time they get to ripe old later ages, will have done a lot and maybe seen the fruits. I mean, I saw this thing with one of Bush's daughters yesterday on TV, and uh, she was talking about the AIDS uh, initiative that George Bush set up in Africa, which has actually apparently helped 80 million people. And uh, really? that's brought about the because uh, what that was about, a lot of that was about creating facilities where people could be treated for AIDS with various drugs that would then be, uh, you know, handled by the U.S. from pharma in this com country. Bush's, uh, Bush's um, initiative was totally successful and did a huge amount. And people like Bush in certain places in Africa mm -hmm. where the impact of AIDS was horrendous and there was no infrastructure to deal with it until, uh, the, you know, the, the sort of early part of the, of the 21st century. So... Things like that are happening. And, of course, George himself did not go to Africa and do that, although he's in Africa a lot with Laura Bush still following up on this because I guess he sees it as being his best. Talk about a heritage, uh, you know, something you leave for the future. He did that. Mm. He also did a lot of damage to the planet. Yeah, but that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a, 
very... that was enacted by young people going to mm. Africa and doing all this stuff. And I know a lot of people who are very young who were just really committed to everything from soup kitchens, food kitchens to um, places. I mean, look at John bon, John Bon Jovi's restaurant in uh, in New Jersey, which is entirely populated and worked by ex homeless. And anybody who goes there can get a free meal if they want it, or they can work there. And he makes no money from it. And it's, I know he's a rock star and he's got a lot of money, but he's created a little yeah. a little sort of structure there where people who are hungry can go and be fed. Yeah. Well, that's really great, and yeah. I applaud John for that. Yeah, you know. Uh, I just want to note, I mean, I didn't know anything about this George Bush initiative until you just said it. And, and I, you know, you've probably read some material that's uh, given it good reviews, that it's done, in, obviously done a, an incredible amount of good. And he initiated this thing. George Bush, the last Bush, right? Yeah. yeah. George W. So... And this man has been vilified. He did some horrible things, and yet he did this. Mm. So, you know, the, the complexity of how this all works, you know, and, and going back to some of the things we've talked about on this podcast, we cannot get too simplistic or black and white and say it's the one thing or another. We do not know nothing. And what this guy was supposed to do in this life and, uh, you know, I, God only knows. I mean, we have no way of knowing with our minds what, what is, you know, what, what really is motivating anybody. I mean, there are some out-and-out evil people. And I don't, and we used to call him that, right? We used to call him that. And then can we call him that now with this particular knowledge? Uh, I don't a, know. Maybe he just did it. Question. He did it just to aggrandize himself. It had no caring of what exactly. was going to happen. It's hard to imagine, though. Well, but somehow it turned out good. There's also, Raga, I mean, within it, I do detect there is that Christian uh, thing right, about sa right. saving the Africans kind of deal also yeah. in there because I have other experience of that also, of people going over there. It's not exactly a missionary, but it just shows how good the right. American Christians yeah, okay. are, so you know, yeah. that we're actually setting this up. But, you know, okay, so that's the motivation, which is a bit, you know, questionable. But the, the truth of the matter is, it did actually get done. And, you know, I, I've seen the likes of Clinton and Bono, incidentally, talk about this, because mm. Bono's debt-saving routine, yeah. you know, going did, in fact, create an amazing amount of change in Africa because yep. the money that they owed to the U.S. and Western Europe could be used for education, hospitals, healthcare, and so on. So, yeah, great things get done. But, you know, I'm not aware of Adolf Hitler or Mussolini or Franco or Tojo doing much good for people. So in that era, 70 years ago, these dictators seemed to be the darkest agents of of human and that's been there all through yeah, human history you know and there, there's no doubt about that i mean now, definitely it's not really i mean there are leaders on this planet who are really for nothing but even given that i think to implement any kind of policy now that helps people in a big way young people have to be involved from the grassroots and it frequently doesn't start from george bush it starts from a bunch of people uh on facebook and twitter and so forth right. to each other and saying let's do something about for instance this morning on facebook I got a thing asking people to sign a petition about the 70,000 tons of uh, nuclear waste in the United States. And it has to be moved a lot now because it can't stay in the same place. And sh this woman wants to create a petition along with others to make sure that when it passes through our state, 
whichever state you're in, that there are laws and regulations that govern and that can be examined and monitored. Otherwise, highly radioactive waste, it's not even good enough to be in the sites where it was, can be driven through states. Here I see on Facebook a thing saying there is a movement to make this law, that you can't just drive uranium waste through Vermont. Mm -hmm. Now, I wouldn't know about that and would never give it two thoughts, to be honest with you, even though I know it's there. But this person, I'm sure she's a lot younger than me, sort of said, okay, let's get it together, folks, and try and do something. Right. That's, pretty, that's pretty great. Yeah. No, absolutely, and uh, very hopeful. And we've talked about this before, and we have people that we, you know, are from that generation. And, and this show is, is a lot about comparing what it was that we went through, David, when we were coming up and how, do we got a, how we got awake and the ways in which we related with society and culture and so on. And I think you're absolutely right. We were uh, maybe way too inside ourselves trying to find ourselves and, and thinking, I mean, there were definitely people out there, obviously, you know, protesting the, the war and so on. And uh, but uh, I think there was a lot of people that were inside themselves in a way that maybe was a little bit too self-indulgent uh, in the time, not really thinking of uh, humanity and community and so on and so forth. And I, I do think that that is going on uh, way more now. So it's a very positive development. And um, Yeah, it is. It gives me, I mean, I like it when I see it on Facebook because... I know these people for real. They wouldn't put it on there if not, if not for them. They mm -hmm. do go and work at it and, you know, occupy Wall Street for all its, its, its deficiencies because it had them, uh, naturally had them because it was really young and it hadn't learned to be itself yet. I think that's going to be a lot more now because people, uh, you know, as the writer says in, in this falsely named afterlife thing, should have been called after our life, uh, you know, is saying that mm -hmm. what, what, what would we do if, if, well, he's weird because he's saying, what would we do if you had 30 days to live? No, what would we do if you, we knew that, you know, the human race is going to survive another 600,000 years? Uh, it's my greater attitude, I think. You know, I think that's like, okay, well, we would try and make it so there's a, not a burned earth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, when I see these things about the ice caps, that's the thing that gets to me most. Because with all the climate change stuff, nobody denies that the oh. ice caps, you know. It's, hey, I, I want to do it. Yep. Yeah, you, you mentioned the polar ice caps and, and, and so on. Um, I want to do a plug. Um, there's a um, something that we're going to become involved with, not Mind Rolling, but uh, Love Serve Remember Foundation. And it is, um, we're, we're tying in with uh, an organization called the Urgency Network. And what they do is uh, they get with uh, celebrities and those celebrities pick uh, a cause and uh, give away their time to be hang out with people for a day or two or whatever. Um, uh, and, and then money is raised to support that cause. And uh, so urgencynetwork.org, there's something with Paul McCartney right now uh, around uh, just, you know, uh, exactly what, what you're talking about uh, with the, the, the ice uh, caps and so on. And, and doing something about that. So if people are interested in that, I mean, you just struck me when you said it. Uh, please go to urgencynetwork.org. I think you can Google it up and get right there. And we are uh, going to do something around um, 
being able to share the teachings we've been involved with for the last 45 years to raise money for that. And we'll tell you about that more as weeks come along. Meanwhile, Dave, mm. time is up. All right. Our sponsor okay. has limited us to 55 minutes. The no, rest, was- the other five minutes is for uh, commercials uh, only. And we've done our commercials, and we've. Uh, I want to thank everyone too. Dave has, but I want to thank everyone. It's really gratifying, not just to get the support, but we love to hear from you and the feedback on individual episodes or on some of the stuff. Dave, do you have a new blog coming up? By the way, I love that Tur- yeah, Tulku Urgin well, blog. I just did, just did one about Tulku Urgin, which which you don't have to be a big Buddhist scholar to read because I try and talk about it in everyday terms. Uh, no, I, I I do, but it's it's kind of just it's bubbling, and it's something to well, do with yeah, you know, with it's some, something to do with '60s music, and oh. a little bit of a, a, a an explique of why. I oh, think. hey, let's do that. Hey, what a great idea! Okay. You do a blog around that and its relationship to. Uh, it's funny because, okay, mm. I'll tell you one one thing. Can I quickly find this? I I just did a podcast with Ramdas. Hang on. Okay. Raghu is now looking for this. I can see him on my TV screen. And while he's doing that, I'm just talking. So you, thought, you know this thing is this just is live. Real. Oh, here it is. Putting his headsets on now. And, Jesus, um, God, everything just blew off my desk. I just thought this was so great. You'll love this, Dave. Okay, let's, let's, let's go for it. If people are still with us. If they are still with us, yeah. Um no, uh, so this podcast uh, that I did, it's called The Here and Now with Ramdas Podcast. Um, he was talking about uh, this STP trip that he took that uh, he ended up in, in uh, you know, an completely empty place. He called it the chasms of nothing. Oh, oh. okay. Um, and then he started describing... Uh, this experience with later after you read the Tibetan Book of the Dead, right? And so uh, he he recalled that at that time, this is 60s music, the Beatles wrote a song. They he I think he had gotten Lennon a copy. I don't know. They got a copy. I don't know how. Maybe Leary, right? I know Leary was uh, you know involved with uh, you know with Lennon anyhow. Yeah. Um, and and so one of the songs in Ramdas hummed this in, in in the lecture, but this is like '69. Okay, turn yeah. off your mind and float downstream, yeah. which is words come right out of the Tibetan uh, Book of the Dead, and uh-huh. it's and it's about embracing the ten thousand horrible visions and the ten thousand beautiful visions, and only you know that that all you have to encompass it all. So, you know. Turn off your mind. Okay, that's it. Okay, please, please, let's do one. You write a blog. We'll do, we'll play a bunch of great 60s music that we both loved. We'll do a wonderful podcast and then we'll get sued by Apple. Yeah, it'll be like no a, a sort of a cru- crucifixion thing. Yeah. We'll, we'll give you our taste in music, and we'll be in Apple jail. <laughs> iTunes jail. Somewhere not, in, in, not in iTunes, Guatemala. Apple Records or whatever, whoever owns it. Oh, Apple. Oh, that Apple. RCA, yeah. Oh, yeah. That Apple. yeah. <laughs> All right, Dave, this well, is it. Good. Thank it's you. Good. And uh, everybody, we'll, we'll see you. Go to mindrollingpodcast.com and... 
You'll find all of our stuff there, the extras, the blogs, the archive now of uh, podcasts, T-shirts, 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 mugs. You got it. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.